the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network presents Vatican Insider with Joan Lewis. Each week, Joan brings you news from inside the Vatican and the church around the world, as well as interviews and answers to your questions. Now, here's the host of Vatican Insider, Joan Lewis. Welcome to another new edition of Vatican Insider. Before I look at the top news stories of the week, let me remind you about my very special guest in the interview segment, Father Hans Zollner. He's a German Jesuit theologian and psychologist. You learned in part one of our conversation last week that in 2012, at Rome's Jesuit-run Gregorian University, he founded and was president of the Center for Child Protection. In April 2021, that became the Institute of Anthropology, Interdisciplinary Studies on Human Dignity and Care, IADC, that he now directs. Father's a licensed psychotherapist and is regarded as one of the leading ecclesiastical experts in the field of safeguarding from sexual abuse, especially in the Catholic Church. We talk about the Institute, also known as the Safeguarding Institute, the courses and degrees it offers, and how dioceses around the world are adopting similar programs. Don't miss a word of this conversation. As you know, I'm in Hawaii, and while my surroundings as I work are extraordinarily beautiful, they're not always perfect for acoustics. So if on occasion you hear the occasional cooing of doves, that will explain the background. I also overlook Pearl Harbor and Hickam Air Base, so if you hear the occasional plane, that explains that noise. And now the news highlights. Sunday, November 6th, Pope Francis returned to Rome at the end of his four-day trip to Bahrain, having met earlier in the day with bishops, priests, deacons, consecrated persons, seminarians, and lay pastoral workers of Bahrain at the Sacred Heart Church in the capital city of Manama. He urged all to preserve and deepen their Christian joy, spreading it to all around you, and to remember that with God, you can face and overcome everything. He held an in-flight press conference on the way back to Rome with journalists, and then shortly after his arrival, he visited St. Mary Major Basilica to pray before the beloved Marian icon, Salus Populi Romani, in thanksgiving for his trip. Monday, November 7th, no rest for the weary, Addressing some 120 members of the Institute of Theology of Religious Life in Rome as they celebrate its 50th anniversary, Pope Francis praised their precious academic work for consecrated life and encouraged the Claritian missionaries not to tire of going to the frontiers and being bold in their mission. Tuesday, November 8th, in the wake of the plane crash on Sunday in Tanzania, Pope Francis sent a telegram to the apostolic nunciator there, saying he is praying for the victims of the crash. He prayed in particular for the eternal repose of the deceased, the healing of the injured, and strength for those involved in the rescue and recovery efforts. Wednesday, November 9th, at today's general audience in St. Peter's Square, Pope Francis began by greeting the faithful president and said, It's a bit cold, isn't it? But it's beautiful. Now, before beginning to speak about what I've prepared, I'd like to draw attention to these two children who just came up here on the stage. They did not ask permission. They didn't say, I'm afraid. They came up directly. This is how we need to be with God, direct. They have given us an example of how we need to behave with God, with the Lord. Go ahead. He's always waiting for us. It was good for me to see the trust of these two children. It's an example for all of us. 
This is how we always need to draw to the Lord freely. Thank you so much. He then went on to talk about his just-concluded trip to Bahrain. Three days ago, he said, I returned from my trip to the kingdom of Bahrain, which I truly knew nothing about. I want to thank everyone who accompanied this visit through the support of their prayers and to renew my gratitude to His Majesty the King, the other authorities, the local church, and the people for their warm welcome. Francis then explained a bit about how a papal trip is organized, saying, I would like also to thank those who organize these journeys. To do this, there is a movement of people, many people. The Secretary of State works a lot to prepare the speeches, to prepare the logistics, everything. There's a lot of movement. Then the translators, and then the corps of the gendarmes, the corps of the Swiss guards, who are wonderful. Everything. It's a tremendous amount of work. To everyone, to all of you, I want to thank you publicly for all that you did so that the Pope's journey would go well. Thank you. It comes spontaneous, said Francis, to ask why the Pope wanted to visit this small country with such a large Islamic majority. There are so many Christian countries, why not go first to one or two of them? I want to respond through three words, dialogue, encounter, and journey. He said his recent journey to Bahrain was occasioned by the International Forum for Dialogue, which brought together leaders of different religions in the service of peace. Dialogue, he said, is in fact the oxygen of peace, opening minds and hearts to encounter and breaking down the walls of violence and division. In our world, torn by war and conflict, religious and civil leaders and all persons of goodwill are challenged to look beyond narrow interest and to seek the unity and peace of the entire human family. After the audience, the Pope blessed a work by Canadian sculptor Timothy Schmaltz called Sheltering that shows a dove placing a blanket over a sleeping homeless person. This is to bring attention to Sunday's World Day of Care for the Poor. Thursday, November 10th, Pope Francis greeted members of the Pontifical Nepomuk College, the seminary for Czechs and Slovaks in Rome, and he urged them to build bridges of encounter, peace, and dialogue in times of conflict and war. Pope Francis recalled the living testimony of the patron saint of the college, St. John of Nepomuk, who lived in Bohemia during the 14th century. A confessor to the Queen of Bohemia, St. John refused to reveal to the king what was said in her confession. The saint was therefore tortured and killed by being thrown off a bridge due to his steadfast devotion to the sacrament. Francis said his courage is an example of the countless bishops and priests who have similarly endured years of saying no to regimes in order to remain faithful to the mission of the church and their vocation. We must always have, he said, the courage to say yes to Christ. Also Thursday, speaking with rectors and formators of Latin American seminaries, Pope Francis insisted that all priestly formation, particularly that of future pastors, is at the heart of evangelization. The formators are taking part in a course in Rome organized by the Dicastery for the Clergy. In his prepared remarks, Pope Francis emphasized the continuity between the formation guidelines produced by his immediate predecessors, while highlighting one of the great contributions of the current program that focuses on formation that is unique, integral, communitarian, and missionary. Pope Francis also recalled the importance of the human dimension of formation, noting that seminarians and future priests are fellow disciples, like all the Christian faithful, with human needs and weaknesses. 
Given the time difference between Honolulu and EWTN's Alabama office, where my colleagues put together the various segments of Vatican Insider, I must conclude this week's news segment on Thursday. However, just a heads up for Sunday the 13th. Pope Francis will celebrate Mass in St. Peter's Basilica with the poor, marking the sixth World Day of the Poor that he established at the close of the 2015-2016 Extraordinary Jubilee of Mercy. Well, those are the week's news highlights, but stay right here for my conversation with Jesuit Father Hans Zollner, founder and director of the Gregorian University's Institute of Anthropology, Interdisciplinary Studies on Human Dignity and Care, also known as the Safeguarding Institute. And have a great weekend. Welcome to the Q&A. The words evangelization and new evangelization occur in a lot of stories about the Vatican, and I'm often asked what is the difference. Well, in a nutshell, evangelization, a first evangelization, is found in the work, for example, done by missionaries who bring the gospel to peoples for the first time, people who have never heard of Jesus Christ. The new evangelization is bringing the gospel to people who have been evangelized but forgotten what they have learned or gotten out of touch or lost interest. During Vespers on June 28, 2010, eve of the Feast of Saints Peter and Paul, Pope Benedict announced the creation of the new Pontifical Council for promoting the new evangelization. He said the process of secularization has produced a serious crisis of the sense of the Christian faith and role of the Church. The new Pontifical Council intends to promote a renewed evangelization in countries where the Church has long existed, but which are living a progressive secularization of society and a sort of eclipse of the sense of God. Cardinal Dolan once explained the differences very well in an interview. Pope John Paul II is the one who coined the term the new evangelization. And what did he mean? He says, first of all, we've got to evangelize ourselves again. We traditionally tend to equate evangelization only with missionary work. And missionary work is indeed an essential component of evangelization. Missionary work we think of ad extra to the foreign lands who have never heard the saving name, person, or message of Jesus Christ. So John Paul II said the new evangelization means we must re-evangelize ourselves. He is only one of four popes honored as the great. Matthew Bunsen and the Doctors of the Church. St. Leo I was pope at a time when Roman civilization was being overrun by barbarian armies. He stood as a light in the darkness and even saved the city of Rome from destruction by Attila and the Huns. Leo died in 461. For more about the Doctors of the Church, visit doctorsofthechurch.com. EWTN Global Catholic Network is the largest religious media network in the world. 11 global TV channels, English and Spanish radio networks with over 500 AM and FM radio affiliates, one of the largest Catholic websites in the world, dozens of podcasts every week, social media, electronic and print news services, and EWTN publishing. EWTN is the global Catholic network. For more about EWTN, visit EWTN.com. This is Steve Leaguers, president of Tri-State Catholic Radio, and I am a sinner. 
a sinner who needs God's grace and mercy, especially when I'm weak or disappointed in myself or have hurt others. Catholic Radio and its wonderful variety of programming reminds me that God loves me and uses radio as a medium to broadcast His love and encouragement into our world. Find a Catholic station in your area and tune in. The world needs EWTN Catholic Radio, now more than ever. Welcome back to Vatican Insider. Here's Joan Lewis. Welcome back to part two of my conversation with German Jesuit father Hans Zollner, founder of the Gregorian University's Institute of Anthropology, Interdisciplinary Studies on Human Dignity and Care also known as the Safeguarding Institute, whose work looks not only at safeguarding children from abuse, but also vulnerable adults. Father mentioned reported cases, for example, of abuse of religious sisters by priests. This week, we learn more about the degrees and courses offered by the Institute and how dioceses around the world are trying to set up similar institutes. Now, as far as the Institute goes, I'd love to talk about this is a, um, has a program with its own faculty that offers lic- licentiates and doctorates. So what are some of the courses, um, how long to earn those degrees, and, and then is the licentiate equivalent to what in America we call a master's degree? Now, we offer residential, uh, in, in, in residence we offer three courses. Uh, three programs. One is uh, the diploma course, what we call a diploma here, which in American language would be a certificate course of one semester. And we do that in English and in Spanish, which is exceptional for Roman universities. Sure. Uh, But uh, we we think that caters to those um, uh, populations that in the Catholic Church are the most numerous ones, English speakers and Spanish speakers. Then we offer the licentiate, which is in effectively in American or uh, in other systems the master's degree equivalent. It is a full ecclesiastical degree, which means uh, it is for a priest or a religious, it allows to teach in a seminary uh, or in a faculty. And um, the third degree that we offer is a doctorate in anthropology, and that uh, gives you access to an academic career. Now, um, when it comes to the title of the courses, uh, these deal with uh, the different things that we have uh, in our, uh, on our safeguarding portfolio. What is childhood and childhood and culture? Remembering that we, we have students from 125 countries here. Sure. So, uh, that and childhood varies. And childhood varies greatly. Right. You're an adult in some countries at 19, and you're a teen in others. Yes, or, I mean, how do people talk about sexuality in, in different languages, sure. uh, in different cultural contexts? Uh, so then, uh, what, uh, what can we say about who are the victims, and how do you approach victims of abuse? Uh, how do you encounter them? What, what types of therapy are there that uh, are helpful? Then, who are the perpetrators within the church, outside the church? How do you deal with perpetrators? Um, then questions of about the institutional settings that favor or, or impede abusive behavior. Um, other things that uh, we, we address are uh, all kinds of definitions like what, are, what can we consider uh, a spiritual abuse, abuse of power, 
who are vulnerable persons because there is no commonly accepted or acceptable and legally binding definition across the globe that would define uh, once and for all who, who vulnerable persons are. Fascinating. I had no idea. Wow. Yeah, then the whole question about the care element. I mean, uh, how do we uh, care for victims? Secondary victims means family members, friends, colleagues, schoolmates are of victims. How do we uh, deal with parishes where abusive priests have been working and very often are split between those who defend the priest and those and don't believe sure. uh, the allegations and others who condemn the priest from from the outset? So these are some of the topics that we address. And many people would ask, uh, why do you need a semester or even two years uh, for such a program? And I can tell you, the deeper you go into this, the more you discover what what is connected, what uh, what is linked to all the questions of how can we keep people as safe as possible. Oh, I, I can't even imagine. Now, the, what is the length for a licentiate? This is a master's degree. is a full second cycle academic degree of four semesters, two years. Two years. And um, the doctorate? The doctorate depends. I mean, normally a doctorate will take three years. Uh, it depends, of course, uh, whether one has f uh, full-time free for doing that or whether has some, some of our students have family or need to uh, keep working. But normally a doctorate sure. will take three years and we have had a number of very interesting topics for um, the doctorates. For example, we had a, a sister from Togo in Africa. She did a doctorate on the sexual abuse committed against religious women by clergy in Western Francophone uh, Africa. Or uh, we had a, a priest, a missionary priest from India who works in Central America and he was looking into the family history of members of the Marras, of the the violent youth gangs in Central America, oh, right. and how the, the family history, very often of, of extreme violence at home, links back uh, to uh, their, their membership in such gangs and the type of abuse that they are committing. What about abuses today? I, my question, what I had written down was, you know, the sex abuse cases today are numbers greatly reduced. But I find that that, that question almost has to be uh, asked twice because if we're talking about minors, it's one thing, and if we're talking about vulnerable people, it's really another. But I mean, are we, can we be thankful in any small way that numbers are down? Or are they down on child abuse and up on vulnerable? Actually, I can't reply to that with precision because we don't have numbers, to the, especially to the letter, because the, the, the discussion and scientific research and concrete numbers on sexual or other types of abuse in regard to vulnerable adults uh, is, is very recent. So we, we need to wait a few sure. more years to, to compare that. Uh, however, one thing is for sure, we know that in whichever country um, the church leadership uh, has taken serious steps and made serious efforts in safeguarding, the numbers have gone drastically down. Mm. Uh, that is true for the U.S., as we can see in every report, every year's report by the USCCB, um, which is based on the numbers from the CARA Institute at Georgetown, 
University um, uh, which demonstrates that uh, the level of allegations that refer to the recent years after 2002, after the bishops in America uh, adopted the Dallas Charter, right. uh, are at a minimum uh, and you honestly, you won't get lower than that because we as human beings won't be uh, capable of eradicating once and for all sure. this. But the, the numbers are at a minimum and and have stayed so over the years. However, we, we need to say that this is not the case all over the globe because I would say maybe 25 to 30 countries in the world, and I talk only about the Catholic Church, I don't talk about other religions, I don't talk about the state uh, and, and sports associations sure. and others, only in 20 to 30 countries in the world, there have been taken serious steps and enforced steps and implemented steps to uh, take safeguarding serious in terms of guidelines that were implemented, in terms of formation that has become obligatory, mandatory for uh, groups like priests, like uh, like, uh, pastoral workers, like nurses and so forth. For sure, wherever those measures have been taken, the numbers have come come down to almost uh, um, zero, never zero completely, but very low. Well, in some countries where they haven't, where the numbers are not as good, shall we say, is it often a question of kind of a cultural pushback on that? Till now, I've come back from from Africa recently, and uh, till now there are uh, people in some parts of the world that say, that child sexual abuse by clergy is a Western problem, is a problem of the secularized societies and so forth. But when you talk with the bishops, when you, talk, when you know about the numbers of allegations, when you see how sexuality is very often completely repressed and, uh, and not talked about in the public discourse, and let alone uh, from, from in the, within the Catholic Church, uh, you realize that this is... A, a phenomenon that you see across the globe and there is no country that, and no culture that is completely exempt of it. So uh, this is very often just uh, a point that is made uh, to avoid any kind of facing reality and sure. unfortunately in some parts of the world uh, the church, local church, the bishops, conferences, uh, the religious have made the same mistakes as have been made by uh, the, the bishops in, in other parts, I mean in western parts of, sure. uh, of, the, of the globe. And, and unfortunately there is a question, why don't we learn better and faster from experiences and best practices in one part of the world and, and uh, can course. transport that to other parts? So now tell me, Father, and I know your time is precious, so this is pretty much my last question, but Father Zollner, you do a lot of traveling. Are you setting up a network of of institute, uh, I I don't want to say clones, but you know what I mean? We we have two things. One, uh, there there is a certain number of institutes or centers that have been established in Catholic universities, mainly in the Jesuit Catholic universities in uh, Latin America, uh, in Asia, and in in some parts of uh, Africa that are very much modeled according to our uh, former Center for Child Protection and now, interestingly, also they call themselves safeguarding institutes or in in care for vulnerable because it has become clear, uh, as I said before, that we need to go beyond 
focusing on children only. Right. Secondly, we have established uh, two or three years back uh, an organization that is called the Global Safeguarding Alliance, which brings together at this point eight different Catholic uh, institutions at Catholic universities, from the Catholic University of Australia to the Jesuit University in uh, Chile uh, to the Catholic University in Ghana uh, and other parts um, uh, of the world, uh, academic institutions at Catholic universities that work in the area of child protection on a scientific basis and in research and we have we are in the on the way to, uh, to start uh, a first common research project in collaboration with that network and you know this this is how we should take advantage of this uniqueness of a catholic global network which is we only have but we don't really make use of it and once we will have numbers uh, from different parts of the world we can compare better and we can also sure. see what are the specific culturally colored risk factors or protective factors in this continent, in this country, in this culture compared to others. And that would help us to be much more focused and much more effective in our safeguarding sure. measures. Well, you know, you do such extraordinarily important work that impacts so many levels of society, as uh, you emphasize today, not just abuse of children, but abuse of vulnerable people. How do we define vulnerable? And um, I just want to thank you for your time. I know that it's limited and you have so much work to do with all the courses, but um, I just also want to say God bless you in your work, your faculty, in setting up new institutes, and um, any time that I can be of help, that we at EWTN, simply by acknowledging your work, if we can promote it in our own way, we're only too happy to do so. So, God bless you, and where's your next trip to? <laughs> My next trip will be to Austria, where within the Catholic Church, they actually have set up, very early on for European uh, standards, uh, a, a very effective victims assistance uh, and support uh, uh, su uh, system. And I thank you very much for your interest and for the time uh, on your show. And, and for all what EWTN uh, has done in, when we, they invited me to, in different occasions uh, for different types of interviews. Um, and I would also thank all those who are listening now uh, for their interest in this sure. and, and for continuing, one, to pray uh, for all those who work in the area of safeguarding and two, to do whatever each one can do in his or her capacity. In, in, in which parish they are, in which professional role they are, exactly. in which type of family, community, or whatever they live. Each one can do something so that our church becomes a safer place and is a safer place. Exactly. Uh, because this is not only for the experts. So thank you very much for having me and all the best to you. Well, God bless you and safe travels. For more information on these stories or to check out Joan's blog and to ask her a question, Go to EWTN.com. That's EWTN.com. Thanks for listening to Vatican Insider on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.